Hey Irish fans, this is Alex Painter here from Onward to Victory, here to remind you that if you or your company has screen printing or embroidery needs, look no further than our pals at wcscreens.com. Nationwide shipping? Check. Wholesale pricing? Absolutely. They are indeed the gold standard of the industry and fervent supporters of this show and your fighting Irish. So give them a holler at wcscreens.com. And on with the show. In a 2020 poll on Notre Dame football website One Foot Down, they asked the question if Ian Book was one of the all-time great Notre Dame quarterbacks. Over 1,000 people responded and over 77% said yes. Detangling quarterback legacies can be really tricky, particularly among the vastness of college football and the deep pages of Notre Dame football history. But let's give it a crack, shall we? I might even get a little crazy and make a case that Ian Book is the greatest of all Notre Dame quarterbacks. So buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. Hello, Irish fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter, and this is episode 75 of the most exhaustive, accessible source of Notre Dame football history since 2019. Thank you so much for joining me here today as we are going to tackle the legacy of the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. Why, that would be Irish signal caller from 2016 through 2020. Yes, indeed. I am talking about Ian Book. Through my research, gathering of various perspectives, and I suppose just being a football fan with a pulse, I know folks feel very strongly one way or perhaps the other on the topic of quarterback play. It is without a doubt the most easily and widely scrutinized position on the entire football field. Frankly, everyone seems like, or positions themselves anyway, as experts on the position. They don't call us armchair quarterbacks or Monday morning quarterbacks for nothing, right? But we are not only going to dig into Ian Book, but also hopefully gain a fuller understanding of the position at Notre Dame of quarterback, and ideally with as much context as I can provide. So this episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by the show's consensus, All-Americans. The show could not go on without the support of these folks, both past, present, and future. And these humble people include Mr. Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio, Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and Andy Nickel of South Bend, Indiana. Eternally grateful for every last one of you. And I am serious, the show wouldn't be able to continue without your generous support. And also a very special thank you again to WCScreens.com, our banner sponsor for yet another season here in 2023. Give them a call if you have needs in that area. I tell you, I've dealt with them multiple times, many times really, and their customer service is exemplary. They'll take care of you. 
And if you'd like to contribute to the collection plate, if you will, hey, please visit paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. And before we jump in, a quick commercial for the last episode of the show, number 74, about the conversion of head coach Marcus Freeman to Catholicism. Please go give it a listen. I'd greatly appreciate it, and I think you'll enjoy it. But here's the thing about this podcast. I have long felt that episodes kind of fall into one of three buckets, if you will, and after writing, researching, producing, and recording an episode, I generally have a pretty good sense of which one it's going to fall into. So like for someone like, oh yeah, this one's going to catch on and we'll say it'll be commercially successful. The ones that people are going to kind of show up in droves to listen to, perhaps even more so than the average show offering. So some examples of this might be season preview episodes or interview episodes where I have a guest join. So those are the ones that I kind of have a good sense. Okay, there's going to be quite a few people who are going to be interested in this topic and are going to tune in and listen. And then there are others that I know aren't going to be uber popular, if you will, but I do feel like they are important to the story or essence of Notre Dame, or perhaps it's a story that hasn't really been widely told before. You get it. Uh, often I consider these are the ones that are going to perform well critically. I actually have some feedback from one of those type of episodes that uh, I'll share here in a moment. But still yet a third type of episode are the ones that I kind of think of as a message in a bottle. Which is to say an episode is made and crammed into the bottle and you hurl it out to sea. And these are the ones that I have no idea if it'll go over commercially or critically. I just kind of hope for the best. Well, that was the Marcus Freeman episode. I had put quite a bit of work into it and just kind of let it whirl. Didn't know what would happen, but sure enough, it ended up being a huge hit. And I think folks really enjoyed the similarities between Coach Rockney and Coach Freeman. So go give it a take if you haven't already, and please make sure you like, subscribe, or do whatever it is that you have to do to be alerted to all the new episodes. And as I just mentioned a moment ago, I have to share this message from a woman from Washington State named Danielle Dimmick. I thought this was just awesome. So back in early September 2022, I did an episode I had been wanting to do for a very long time about Notre Dame teammates and friends Ralph Dimmick and George Philbrook. Both were linemen for Notre Dame in the first decade of the 1900s, and both inadvertently played huge roles in the Notre Dame-Michigan rivalry. While one, Philbrook, went on to become an Olympian in the decathlon in 1912, Ralph tragically died in 1911 after suffering an injury on the football field. When thinking of the three categories of episodes that I was just speaking of, I definitely put this one into the second group. Maybe not hundreds upon hundreds of listeners, but critically important to the story of the university and the program. So Danielle sent me the message, and an excerpt of it reads as follows, quote, I had to tune into this podcast episode as it is very near and dear to my heart, as it was about my third great-uncle, Ralph Demick. My dad has told me throughout my whole life about our family's history, and he always talked about Ralph and what an amazing athlete he was. I recently looked up more information about Ralph and didn't realize how legendary he was. My dad didn't know as well all the little details, but he only learned from family stories being passed down about Ralph's life. This was such an amazing episode and was more in-depth about his football career. It gave me much more insight about what a great athlete, scholar, and man he really was. We have always been Notre Dame fans because of him and his legacy. And I'm honored to be related to a legend who is not forgotten. Rest in peace, Uncle Ralph. 
end quote. So that was obviously really awesome to receive. So thank you again, Danielle, and it's always nice to hear these types of messages. And now, on to the task at hand, which is making sense of the legacy of Irish quarterback Ian Book. Right after this. I'm excited to do this one. This is one I've been wanting to do for a long time. So I'll start with a question. How is it that we determine legacy in sports? What are the sticking points for measuring something that, in all reality, can't tangibly be calculated? So for quarterbacks, let me offer some parameters which we will employ here today. Number one. Winning football games, so a caveat for a college football quarterback, maybe wins against a top 25, top 10, or top 5 opponents. Perhaps performance in bowl games, or maybe even national championships. Number two, uh, statistical output. Football remains a numbers game. So how does your quarterback stack up against other quarterbacks in program history? What about those who played in a similar era? Quarterback, as we'll touch on time and time again throughout this episode, is tricky. Passing numbers have become much more prolific in the past couple decades than they were in the previous virtually century. And number three, if a legacy is defined as a, quote, long-lasting impact of particular events, actions, etc. that took place in the past or of a person's life, end quote, then what is the long-lasting impact of Ian Book? This is still coming to pass, admittedly, but we can surely take a crack at it. And finally, I'd like to introduce one final parameter into this discussion that I think is worth mentioning. We are only considering the player's time at Notre Dame. So I love Joe Montana, an active participant in some of the most memorable games and seasons in the last half century of Notre Dame football. And I have also little doubt that much of his legacy as a Notre Dame quarterback is boosted by the fact he won four Super Bowls uh, with the 49ers. So for argument's sake, we are going to look at their time playing college football in a vacuum, if you will. So if you're someone who is a little new to your fandom of Notre Dame and are like, who the hell's Ian Book? Or if you're just an older fan who needs a bit of a refresher, here's a quick biography. So Ian Book was born on March 30th, 1998 in El Dorado Hills, California. He played high school football at Oak Ridge High School, and he was heavily sought after by a number of Division I programs who sought the services of the athletic, scrappy, if a bit undersized, book. I always think this kind of thing is pretty interesting, so here's a timeline of Ian Book's commitment to Notre Dame. So for clarity, Ian was a member of the high school class of 2016. So in July 2014, he took a visit to Arizona State. Later that year, he visited and is offered a scholarship from Boise State. So imagine Ian playing on that Smurf turf. But in early 2015, he also fielded an offer from UNLV and Washington State. And on April 11th, 2015, he actually initially committed to the recently passed Mike Leach and his Washington State program. So the Washington State commit actually does end up visiting Notre Dame on August 1st, 2015. He was being recruited by then Irish offensive coordinator Mike Sanford, who actually just served as Colorado's interim head coach last year in 2022. 
But anyways, Ian was a three-star recruit, and he was actually only the 57th best prospect in California. But he is immediately smitten with Notre Dame, easily the biggest and most high-profile football school that was pursuing him. So, almost immediately after his visit on August 1st, he decommits from Washington State on August 4th, just again, three days after his Notre Dame visit, and he commits to the Irish that same day. It happened that quickly. He had a great senior season in 2015. His commitment to Notre Dame, it never wavered, so voila, the California kid comes to South Bend, Indiana in the fall, or I should say in summer, of 2016. So he didn't see any time as a freshman during the 2016 season when he served as the fourth string quarterback and he was also the lead scout team quarterback. So going a bit down memory lane, the three quarterbacks in front of him on the depth chart were Deshaun Kaiser, Malik Zaire, and Brandon Wimbush. So there's that. Ian's freshman year was that four and eight season. And that 4-8 2016 season will always be a bit puzzling because they did have a bona fide starting quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser. But I think if memory serves, six out of their eight losses were by a single possession. Kind of struggled closing games out, I suppose. But 2017 started the string of 10 win seasons that only ended just this past season, 2022. So if you could, again, keep that in mind as we kind of frame the larger discussion here about Ian Book. But uh, Brandon Wimbush was the starter in 2017, wasn't Ian Book. So he was awesome with his legs, as you probably remember, evidenced by his 804 rushing yards and 14 rushing touchdowns that season. But, and I like Brandon a lot, but he was oftentimes, I hate to use this word, but brutal in the passing game. In fact, he completed less than half of his passes. So Ian saw quite a bit of time this season as Brandon's backup, seeing time mostly in blowouts, though he did win his one lone start of the season at North Carolina on October 7th. And as I was kind of doing the research for this episode, for whatever reason, that game just, it's still like it happened yesterday. I remember North Carolina wasn't very good that year. They were definitely having a down year, but it of course was that first prolonged look that we got of Ian Book, and who would have thought now almost six seasons later that that game would be kind of the start of what would necessitate the conversation and the discussion and the investigation that we are doing here today. So he was mostly the backup though, but his 2017 season did end with quite a literal bang. And I know some of you are probably nodding your heads because you know exactly what I'm about to talk about here. That 2017 Citrus Bowl game against LSU. So just to jog your memories a bit, he entered the game towards the end of the first half. Wimbush was just really, he's brutal again that game, but with the Irish down 14 to six in the fourth quarter, Book commandeered two scoring drives, capped off with a 55 yard touchdown pass to Miles Boykin with a minute 28 left in the game to lead the Irish to a 21 to 17 victory. If you remember that Miles Boykin catch was absolutely sick, but Book had a heck of a good Citrus Bowl. So now moving into 2018, You'd think after the Citrus Bowl heroics, that book would have seized the job or entered the following season as the presumptive starter, right? Well, that'd actually be wrong. You might remember this era as the uh, era of Notre Dame football where quarterbacks were shuffled in and out kind of willy-nilly. 
it was so annoying. But despite his d obvious deficiencies throwing the football consistently, Brandon Wimbush ran out as the starter for the first three games of 2018. And it was finally, after one possession wins over, remember this one, Ball State and Vanderbilt, Coach Brian Kelly decided enough's enough, and he went to Ian Book. In fact, with Book under center, the Irish rattled off nine straight wins that year, and Book completed over 68% of his throws and 19 touchdowns. His completion percentage for 2018 remains the highest single-season mark in Notre Dame football history. And they clinched their first-ever college playoff berth with that 12-0 record. And then they ultimately lost 30-3 to eventual national champion Clemson. So 2019 and 2020, Ian Book is your starter. Brandon Wimbush, as you may recall, actually ended up transferring to UCF in 2019. So between those two seasons, 25 games altogether, the Irish go 21-4. and And Ian led the way with a 49-9 touchdown-to-interception ratio. And Book really solidified his place as an all-time program signal caller during this time. Another bowl win, the Camping World Bowl in 2019, which... Hey, people can talk all the mess they want about that football game, but Ian completely outdueled Iowa State quarterback, who happens to be a sudden NFL superstar named Brock Purdy during that game. And yes, Jeremiah Wusukoromo's three sacks of Brock Purdy certainly helped too. But in 2020, Book's announcement to return for his graduate season at Notre Dame, believe it or not, it was a bit divided as far as how fans felt. I was ecstatic, personally. I am an Ian Book fan. You're probably picking up on that, but I can't remember what episode I professed this excitement. But there were still, though, many who believed that the program reigns needed to be handed off to then-backup quarterback Phil Jerkovic. Yes, there was a huge, huge number of folks in Phil's camp. And needless to say, though, Book staying for the 2020 season may have altered the course of the program for many many years to come. And of course, Phil, who evidently did not enjoy his time in South Bend, and he didn't have the nicest things to say about Notre Dame, he will be playing for his third different college next year. Anyway, in 2020, Book led the program to an ACC regular season championship and yet another college football playoff berth. And though they held Alabama to their fewest points in 24 games and covered the spread, they ultimately lost 30-13. to 13. Okay, that was probably a bit more than a quick biography, but a good amount of context is needed if we're going to have this conversation. So let's talk about something right now. I know one of Book's biggest knocks, if not the biggest knock, is that he never won a national championship or the big game, if you will. And if this is the litmus test for a Notre Dame quarterback, well, here's the list of Irish quarterbacks for the claimed national championship teams. In 1924, it was one-fourth of the four horsemen, Harry Stoldrer. In 1929, it was Frankie Caradeo. In 1930, it was Frankie Caradeo again. 1943, Angelo Bertelli. 1946, Johnny Lujak. 1947, Johnny Lujak. 1949, Bob Williams, criminally underrated. 1966, Terry Hanratty. 
1973, Tom Clements. 1977, Joe Cool, Joe Montana. And 1988 would be Tony Rice. I mean, that's a total of nine guys. So obviously, when considering just how much the position of quarterback, again, has evolved over the decades, we can safely say that several of these guys never had to shoulder the offense in the same way modern quarterbacks do. One might even say that none of these men had to shoulder the offense in the same way modern quarterbacks do. And that's, of course, no slight against this position or the men who played it here in previous eras. But that's just the reality based on how the game is played today. So what great Notre Dame quarterbacks never won a national championship, you may ask? A great question. Now, some of you may take exception to who you think is great. So let me rephrase it and say the most statistically prolific Notre Dame quarterbacks that never won a national championship. Here we go. Brady Quinn, Paul Horning, Ralph Guglielmi, Jimmy Clausen, Ronnie Paulus, Rick Meyer, Gus DeRay, Steve Bureline, Joe Theismann, John Hewitt. Frank Trapucca was the backup on some national championship teams, but the Irish fell just short in 1948, his senior season. So there are obviously some in that group that some of you may consider among Notre Dame's elite at the position. And there are probably some in the former group that you may have little familiarity with or not consider among the elite at the position, but that's just kind of the list, the short list I compiled uh, as I was sitting thinking about it. But what I'm really trying to do is just poke holes in the argument that a national championship is needed to be considered one of the best. There are so many factors to winning a national championship. I just don't like the argument, honestly. I also think that though there are just some elite programs that you see in the college football playoff year after year after year, there are more teams today, now, capable of winning a national championship than there were during the yesteryear, if you will. And if you disagree with me in that sentiment, I would actually welcome a disagreement, actually if you have any strong opinions one way or the other about anything I'm saying on this episode, because I think this is kind of a hot button thing, please feel free to email at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com or drop a Facebook message. I hope I get a few messages and I'll read them in the next, uh, the next episode. Anyway, I also think that book can kind of also suffer from the recency bias. So if you're otherwise unaware of what the recency bias is, this is a cognitive bias that favors recent events over historical ones. A memory bias, if you will. Recency bias gives, quote, greater importance to the most recent event, end quote. As the definition implies, this will recede as the pages of history turn. How does the recency bias come in to play with our subject today, Ian Book? Well, despite being the winningest quarterback in program history and easily among the most statistically prolific. The last two times he donned a Notre Dame uniform, well, the Irish lost both games. And I will say that the recency bias can also work the other way as well. So case in point, the season that Aaron Judge just had for the New York Yankees, was it great? Yes. Legendary? Absolutely. Best ever? Probably not. But that was the conversation that was stewing right after the season had ended. But again, recency bias pushes us into having this discourse. That and, of course, sports people just like to debate, as we all know. So let's jump out of the emotional and the sentimentality for a little while and just talk about winning football games. Or parameter number two, if you will. So Ian Book went 30-5 and five as a starter. 
No Notre Dame quarterback won more football games. It's really that simple. And before you say, Alex, they play more football games now than they used to. Well, that's true. Ian did have more chances to win more football games. But his 857 winning percentage puts him fourth all-time among quarterbacks, behind only Lou Jack at 932, Rice at 903, and Guglielmi at 871. Having the fourth highest winning percentage as a Notre Dame quarterback is incredibly significant. And winning more games than anyone else at the position in program history, also very significant. And all told, Ian won seven games against top 25 teams. Two of those were against top 10 teams, and of course one win against a top 5 team. He was 7-5 overall in games against ranked teams. He also never lost to an unranked team, something that we became very accustomed to in the years before Ian Book arrived. Four of his five losses that he suffered in his career did come against top five teams. Again, source of flack. But the context machine is rolling here. Ian won 58.3% of his games against ranked teams. So since the year 2000 and leading all the way up to that LSU bowl game when Ian entered the game and had all the heroics, the Irish went 26-43 and 43 against ranked teams. They won just over a third, 37.6% of their games against ranked teams. And frankly, if you throw out the year 2012, that percentage drops to 34.3%. So yes, basically one out of three games against ranked teams. So they were losing two-thirds of them. Only because I was feeling a bit wild, I looked at the 90s team records as well against ranked teams. So in the 90s, this was seven years of Lou Holtz and three years of Bob Davey. So over the decade, the team went 23, 22, and 2 for a winning percentage of 51%. Ties, man. I'll never understand them in football. Wish we wouldn't do it. But to pull all of this here together for at least this point, not only has Ian won more games under center than every starting quarterback in program history, at a rate better than all but three signal callers, but he also has a better winning percentage against quality teams than the program could boast in aggregate for nearly three decades previously. So, we have talked about winning football games. How about point number three, statistical output? We'll get to passing here in a moment, but I'll start here. Ian Book was an excellent dual-threat quarterback, but not often in the way a dual-threat quarterback is thought of at the college ranks. Sure, there were definitely some designed runs for Ian where that's what the play was designed to do, but where he picked up yards were the kinds of plays that would drive a defense crazy. Oftentimes, perfect coverage, a good pass rush, and he would just wiggle out, scramble, and use some pretty deceptive speed to pick up some serious chunk yardage. You may not believe this. I was actually kind of shocked myself, but Ian Book has the second most rushing yards by a quarterback in program history. He had 1,518, and they ranked second only behind Tony Rice's 1,921. He also had 17 rushing touchdowns, which rank third in program history by a quarterback, behind only Deshaun Kaiser's 18, and you guessed it, Rice's 23. So a very, very skilled scrambler and runner. How about career passing? Book is second in career passing yards and passing touchdowns, behind only, you want to take a guess, 
Brady Quinn, if you were to take those quarterbacks with at least 400 passing attempts in their careers, Ian's 63.8 completion percentage is the best in program history. His 68.2% completion percentage back in 2018 is the best for a single season in program history. As a bit of a statistical quirk here, I think you guys will enjoy this. Current offensive coordinator and former Irish quarterback Tommy Reese, though, did have one more 300-yard passing game than Ian. I personally thought that was rather interesting. But my absolute favorite part of watching Ian Book, though, he rarely threw it to the other team. It's quite refreshing. So after putting together two separate streaks of 119 and 123 passes attempted without an interception, he went on a run that I personally think we may not see broken. After throwing a second quarter pick against Duke to open the 2020 season on September 12th, he didn't throw another interception until December 5th against Syracuse. Nine games, 84 days, and incredibly, 266 consecutive passes without throwing an interception. 266. I think that is just wild. In taking down number one Clemson on November 7th, 2020, he delivered the program the signature win of the entire millennia. Yes, I know Trevor Lawrence had COVID and all that, but actually controlling what he could control, Book passed for 310 yards and rushed for another 67 yards in a 47-40 to double overtime thriller. And as a Notre Dame fan of a certain age, I'm 35, that was perhaps one of the best moments in my fandom. And I'm not sure it's even that close. There was also little question about Ian Book being a locker room leader. He was named team captain both in 2019 and 2020. Now here you go, a quick history of quarterbacks being named team captain as follows. In 2009, Jimmy Clausen was captain. So in other words, according to the program media guide anyway, there had been 10 years between the quarterback, who ought to be the de facto leader of the team, actually being named team captain. A quick note about Clausen. He was pretty damn good. Better than anyone probably remembers. I mean, he was just on some plum awful teams, and I'm sure that probably colors how he is remembered. Uh, that's my opinion anyway, and I'm sure others as well. All right, so in 2005 and 2006, Brady Quinn was captain, as you may imagine. In 1999, it was Jarius Jackson. 1996 and 1997, Ronnie Paulus was captain. In 1992, Rick Meyer. 1989, Tony Rice. 1983, Blair Keel, Columbus, Indiana boy. 1978, it was Joe Cool again, Joe Montana. So here's one just in case it comes up at Notre Dame Trivia Night at your local watering hole. Before Joe Montana was named team captain in 1978, it had been 33 years since a quarterback was named captain. And that was in 1945 when Frank Dansowitz was named team captain. Now granted, there were fewer players named team captain then than now, and depending on the coach, only seniors or upperclassmen could be named captain. But I think it is of major significance that in 78 years, since Frank Dansowitz in 1945, 
there have only been nine quarterbacks named team captain, and only three were named captain for multiple seasons. Ronnie Paulus, Brady Quinn, and Ian Book. All right, so take a breath. Let's attempt now to tie it all together once more. What's Ian Book's legacy? Though I, like you, am subject to having strong opinions and biases, I'll give you a few I think statements here. I think Ian Book was one of the scrappiest college quarterbacks I ever watched. He was dogged. He was determined. He won more games than anyone else for that position in program history at a percentage that few can match against strong competition and easily one of the most competitive eras of the sport. No, he wasn't destined to be quite the prolific passer that Brady Quinn was, but he was sure close. In some respects, he was the most responsible passer in program history. I think he is the most responsible passer in program history. He didn't compile the yards on the ground that Tony Rice did, but he is easily the best blended passer runner in program history, and that, I don't think, is even close. I also think that the position of quarterback is the sum of many parts. Chiefly, what did the scoreboard read when the clock hit zero? Though he may not have had a national championship that, say, a Johnny Lujak or Joe Montana had, again, he won more games than anyone in program history at that position, and he did it in an era where the impetus and the effectiveness of the offense is often squarely on the quarterback's shoulders a vast, vast majority of the time. And again, this is no disrespect to the men who played the position previously, but the quarterback position has changed dramatically, drastically even, over the past couple decades. What's more, Ian led the team to two top five finishes in a three-season span. Finishing in the top five was something that had only happened once, one other time, during this entire millennia. And if you look for a time that had happened where there were, the team finished in the top five two times in a three-season span, it had been since the early 90s. And speaking of leading, I think, and I suppose this one, is indisputable. He was a team leader, a program leader, a two-time captain as rarefied air, even more so for a Notre Dame quarterback. I think that realistic expectations of the program to perform consistently on a season-in, season-out basis are as high today as they have been in decades. And I'm going to chalk some of that up to the team's starting quarterback from 2018 through 2020. I also think that when considering the greatest Notre Dame quarterback of all time, Ian Book has to be on the short list for consideration. And if you're probably saying, Alex, don't be chicken, don't be cryptic. Who is the best Notre Dame quarterback of all time? <laughs> I'm saying Ian Book. And I'll be back with show wrap. I think I might get some folks disagreeing with me over that previous statement, and that's okay. Hey, share with me again what your thoughts are. Onward to Victory Podcast at gmail.com or jump into the Facebook page and send a message. Happy to read any and all things that come through both those channels on a future episode. 
But yeah, I, I can't shake it. When considering quarterback and the evaluation and the assessment of quarterbacks, uh, holistically, I'll say, it's got to be Ian Book on the short list. And for me, it's Ian Book on the top of the list. And it's not like there's a gulf between him and my number two quarterback, which is Johnny Lujak. What's interesting about this kind of conversation is that if you don't pick someone to be the best of all time in whatever a position or a sport, that means everybody else, it's like an affront or a slight to everybody else. This is no affront or slight to any of the great Notre Dame quarterbacks. I just happen to think Book is at the top of the heap. And that doesn't mean I'm not a huge fan of Joe Montana or Ralph Guglielmi or Brady Quinn or anyone else. So I hope you really enjoyed that. And if not for any other reason, to maybe it persuaded you, maybe it didn't. But hey, we got to celebrate one of the greatest Notre Dame football quarterbacks of all time, regardless if you think he's the best or not. And uh, it's cool to celebrate him in that kind of way. And really kind of we're three years out now from uh, him being the starter. And it's a good time to kind of start pondering things like what is his place among the greats at Notre Dame. So yeah, it's just fun to relive those teams too. Those were some really, really fun Notre Dame teams. So I have a lot of new episodes coming this off season and some of them I have been planning for some of them literal years at this point. So I'm really excited about them. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast to be alerted to all the new episodes. And with that, I am going to sign off. This has been Onward to Victory a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish. (laughs) 